Well, welcome back to On Being People, our podcast where we explore what it means to be created as people in God's world. Uh, I, uh, my name's Keith, and I'm here with... Paul Lucas, good to see you, Keith, and Hugh. Hello. And today we're uh, diving into a topic which shouldn't provide any controversy at all. It's nice and neat and easy. Um, <laughs> we're actually looking at the idea of morality or ethics, the study of morality, or, you know, to put it in simple words, how do we work out what's right and wrong? And uh, the, we're going to go all sorts of places with this topic today. And I think this is one of those ones where it's uh, it comes out of the abstract and really uh, into the practical every day of, of all of our lives. Each one of us has got decisions that we need to make uh, all the time and we want to work out which decisions should we make? And one of the categories I think we use is which what's right to do here and what's what might not be right, what's wrong. So uh, I thought we might just dive in. I think the most popular reference points that, that m- many people would have when thinking about God's view of ethics and God's view of how we should live and uh, work out right and wrong would be the Ten Commandments. Uh, now, Paul, I know you have these memorized. Um do you want to just take us through them? <laughs> it, it's probably one of the most well-known um, yep. of the uh, of, of a, a body of uh, ethics or or, or rules. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so you find in the Old Testament, in the Book of Exodus, don't, don't we? In Exodus twenty. Yep. Um, yes, and there are, are ten of them. So do you want me to go through them? Do you? is that is that the idea? <laughs> no, I, I just can... thought. You, you, you know the, No, I was just being silly. Uh, oh, I think I would have rattled them off. Yeah. The, um, you know, the, the thou shalt not murder. Oh. Thou shalt yeah. not murder is, that, is a very yeah. easy one to, to recognise, and everyone I think it would is. agree with that. Yeah, murder, yeah, murder is wrong. Don't steal. Don't steal. Yeah. yeah. And so that uh, looks like there's a bunch of rules. Yes. That interesting. That, there's only ten. There is only ten. It is only interesting. Ten's a round, nice round number. Maybe it's about remembering that. You know, eleven. If there were eleven commandments, there'd always be. What was that? What was the extra one? Yeah. <laughs> and see, I wouldn't mind that because a packet of Tin Tams has eleven in it, so it kind of has that correlation. Help make it easy to remember. But anyway, that's 10's true. Good. <laughs> that's a, an in-depth knowledge of Tim Tams that you have there, Paul. That's very, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit scary, really, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, so that sounds like it's a – sorry, you go, Paul. No, I was just going to say it's interesting that you've got these Ten Commandments. Um, but some of them, but not all of them, would probably be things that people would adhere to. So yeah, there are Ooh. some that would like do not murder, do not steal. Mm-hmm. But when it says you shall have no other gods before me, mm. where does that sit within our kind of morality? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah, so there is, a, there is a thought, you know, a very simple thought is to be a good Christian person is to be about keeping the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Um, and that can make us think that, that right and wrong is about keeping rules, right? Someone else has told us what the rules are and so to do right is to keep the rules and when you break the rules, they're wrong. But there are rules in the Bible uh, which we're not sure about. Like there's a rule in the Old Testament that says that we – shouldn't eat prawns. Oh. Now I intend to I intend to disobey that rule um, <laughs> this summer. <laughs> it feels un-Australian not to. <laughs> it feels un-Australian. The Barbie's incomplete. That's right. So now well, obviously I'm gonna have to have some sort of explanation for disobeying that rule when it's in the Bible. Um, but at, at the very least that might just raise a flag that it Ethics might be more than keeping rules. Yes, it is more than just keeping rules, figuring out, I guess, the source of those rules. Yeah. Um, uh, And um, so it's almost like it's not just the rule itself, but who is behind it, I think, is something that we need to consider. And I think the Ten Commandments, as we just said, talk about that. And maybe even with the interaction in Mark 10 between Jesus and the, the wealthy young guy, where the idea of morality comes up. You know, what yep. must I do to inherit eternal life? How do you go with the, the laws? And he talks about five of the laws. 
Uh, he doesn't talk about the first five, um, but he talks about five of the laws in that. And Jesus then has said, there's something missing here. Yeah. So morality becomes a thing that sort of he is work he's using to work towards or his good works towards uh, his inheritance or to inherit eternal life, as he would put it. Yes. And he calls Jesus. The other thing he does in that, I don't know what, if this is anything, but he says to Jesus, "Good teacher," and Jesus says, "Why do you call me good?" He picks up on the fact that he calls him that. Yes, he says, "No one is good but God." Mm. So, if we're thinking about morality in terms of what is good and right, then we have to also think in terms of the source of what uh, yeah, tells us is good and right. I think. Yeah, I think that's profound. Um, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Um, mm. And we go, hang on, no one's no one's perfect. And that might, again, just alert us to the fact that uh, keeping rules or that kind of thing is um, ethics, working out right and wrong is more than that because who can keep every rule all the time, right? But yep. Jesus anchors that type of thinking, the type of character and action uh, that we should have, that a Christian should have, um, in the character of God, like you've just alluded to there, and you get that in other places in the New Testament. You know, be imitators of God, um, uh, be holy as God is holy. So there is something about uh, the fact that we are created as people. We live in a, a created order, and the one who created us and the order, everything we live in has a particular character and flavor and has invested that into the order and we are meant to dis discern that and live according to that. Would you Would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that um, because, oh yeah, like you said, we're part of the created order, so there is an order to creation um, and, and morality sort of fits into that, I think. One of the things I was thinking about this week, if I can throw this because this is kind of along these lines, because um, I've been looking at Oliver Donovan's book, Resurrection and the Moral Order, and he's saying that you know, resurrection is the, is the starting point for where we view our morality and ethics, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting because he's, he's reminding us that resurrection is like a recreation, right? God hasn't lost. He's restoring things. And it sort of led me back to creation and the order of creation. And so I was thinking about this question of it, uh, morality being intrinsic or implicit, I'm not sure which is the right word, in creation itself. So there's an order and a wisdom in creation that starts with God himself, but we've got to remember that he's outside creation but still engaged with it. Yep. Right? So uh, and part of the creative order, created order was that we are to fill the earth, to subdue it and look after it as humans, but we have to also remember in that we're not outside creation. So for us, morality, objective morality is not possible because we are part of this, we're in this ordered creation. And so then you get to Exodus, which is the same author, right? Moses is writing this as well. And you've got the Ten Commandments were like a moral compass, if you like, for God's people, along with defining who God and his people are. And I think that has implications as, as I think about that in line with the creative order. Because um, uh, in Exodus 20, the, the Ten Commandments, I want to argue, have a creative, a creation flow to them. Right, so we know that creation is ordered, and I think that Exodus 20 has a creation flow to them. So they start with God, and there's no one besides Him, just like Genesis 1 1 says. Uh, the second commandment says, Have no other gods created in the image of the things that God has created. And He's talking about the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all the things that He's created. Don't make images for that, which we learn about in creation as well. Then we're not to use His name in vain, but we're to esteem Him, like it mm -hmm. says in um, Psalm 96. Uh, and then number four speaks of the Sabbath, which is the trajectory of Genesis 2.1, where we're told that God rested from all his work of creating and uh, rests on the seventh. So, and, and that's actually explained in Exodus 20 when he talks about the Sabbath. Remember that God did this. So that flow of order of creation seems to sit within these, things, these uh, Ten Commandments as well. And then the following commandments explain the place that humans have in creation and we look after each other. So these commands, if you like, like honour your mother and father, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet, seem to guide us to know how to fill the earth and care for each other. And that's the sense in which Jesus fulfills the law. 
So I, I kind of feel like the moral compass in the Ten Commandments parallels creation, which we see fully, fully um, realized in the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus isn't starting it. God's not starting again, but he's restoring things. So what I'm trying to say here is, is that we can't separate morality from the creation of which we are a part. Um, the problem is that we've taken the moral compass that God is, that has God like as true north, if you like, to stretch the analogy, and we try to take that position for ourselves. And Jesus direct, redirects that in his incarnation, life, death, and resurrection. So I'm just thinking whether living God's way is what is best for us. As God he creates, he includes, a moral, he includes the moral order in that creation according to his character. So we should obey him. We should follow him. All these things are for his glory. And I think our lives when it comes to morality become complicated because that's what we're fighting against, that we have to have the place of true north and our own moral compass. And the gospel is saying, well, Jesus is actually reclaiming God's objective view of morality so we can repent and live freely his way. So I think I want to conclude that morality is not just about doing the right thing, but it's also for God's purposes being fulfilled for creation and his glory. That was what I was thinking through this week. Wow. That's a lot. Sorry. That's good. Yeah. I know. That's really good. Can I um, come back and, and work through that with you? Oh, that would be great. Yes. I think it's good. I like um, that you, you've said that um, uh, when we can't step outside the created order to have objective morality. Um, I, I really like that. I think what that means is that someone has to tell us what the purpose of the creation was in order for us to work out how to live in it correctly. Um, that is, what is why were human beings created? Why was the rest of the world created? So there is a sense in which we need to know the purpose um, for creation and ourselves in order then to work out what's right and wrong. And I, I like that. In what some fields of ethical thinking, they call that knowing your telos, knowing your end. They talk about yeah. teleological mm -hmm. ethics. That is knowing for what end something was created to, to know how to use it right or treat it correctly. And I, I think that's good. But we need God to tell us what that is. Uh, yeah. And that is where I think your comment about the losing true north thing is is really on the money. We, we in and of ourselves um, can't work it out. And in fact, what happens with humanity is that when all different people try and work it out for themselves, you get chaos. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, if if everyone knows what it is and then submits to what it is, then the chaos disappears. And in fact, that that was the intention for people to live peacefully under mm. God's rule and enjoy all the good things that He He made for us. So I, I really like that. Um, you, the the Exodus, the shape of the commandments with the shape of creation is. Oh, I have to chew on that. That's really good. Um, but also, like I think you were talking about, love is the fulfillment of the law. Where you so you get a sense of what our telos, our purpose is when Jesus says all the law and the commandments can be summed up in this: love the Lord your God, or your heart, soul, and mind, strength, and love others as yourself. Yep. There, there, in a sense, is our telos. That, that's our purpose. Yeah. Our, our, I don't know, our standing orders, our whatever, whatever you want to call them. That's mm. that's why we're here. And mm. so there's got to be something to that that helps us then work out what a, a right thing or action, a right thing to think or a right way to behave is. Does it yeah. help us? to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength or does it stop us doing that or stops, or does it stop someone else doing that? Yeah. Or does it help someone else's flourishing or does it hinder their flourishing? Um, yeah. So you're really pushing towards another person-centred kind of ethic there. When, Sorry, I just love hearing the way you think and think out loud. It's great. Yeah. Um, so um, is that what I'm hearing you say? Like uh, our ethic is is about... Uh, being other person centered or is that too simplistic um 
No, I think I think that's that's part of it. But I just understanding. I'm I'm trying to tap into the great things you were saying before about mm. our creation. Um, once once we understand we're created, and I think that's yep. we, we've talked about that in the podcast over that you know we're created, but not only we're created in the image of God, so we're created yep. with a with a special kind of quality to us, and mm. and then that quality has a purpose we're created in his image so that we yep. can uh as you pointed out you know fill the earth be god's co-workers and steward the earth mm. and and that then means we will be cohabiting this space with other people and other things and we've got to work out what to do with those other people and other things as we and and what we're meant to do with them is love them yeah. um and so it it is other person centered in the in the fact that we're fulfilling God's command for us to to love everything that we're that we're cohabiting this space with. Um, yeah, yeah, that's helpful. That's really good. And it's, I guess it's to love as we have been loved. So again, it comes back to that source. Um, so we're to love others, but as we have been loved, right? Sure. Yep. Okay. Because that's that gives a, a uh, again a, a god shape to our morality. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the other, if you want to sort of pursue that other person centered ethic thinking to its end, where it's yep. it's it's god centered in that you know I am not here for me. I'm here to give glory to God and to love others, and I give glory mm. to God by loving Him, um, yep. by understanding that he's a personal being and he wants yep. me to relate to him personally speaking mm. to him listening to him um you know loving him adoring him all of those sorts of things he's not an abstract he's not the force he's not any of that he's personal therefore yep. is able to love he acted towards us in love in creation and then supremely in the gospel by sending his son so yeah um our, our, our yeah. ethic has to be God-shaped because we're created by him and saved by him and we're being recreated by him, which I think also you, you touched on before. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because if, if we are thinking about this other person-centeredness, um, I was reading a book called Right and Wrong by Hugh Mackay, who is an Australian uh, ethicist, sociologist. Uh, he, and in his book, Right and Wrong, he talks about this idea of moral mindfulness and okay. uh, he's talking about how we think reflectively. Um, you know, we weigh up the options. Uh, so we're being mindful. We're being retrospective. We're being self-critical. We're evaluating the situation. And then he says, and while we're doing all of that, paradoxically, our whole orientation, he says, is towards others. So we only enter into a state of moral mindfulness because of our concern for the well-being of others. So there's a sense in which he's thinking similarly, right? <laughs> Even though he doesn't, uh, what would I say, have the same moral compass, yeah, as but, a believer would have. See, I would, I would ask, why should I? Um, yeah, you know, there, uh, there's another um, ethicist that we both know. We had, came into contact with through more college, a guy called Andrew Cameron. And I love it. He's got this chapter called Are the Psychopaths Right? <laughs> you go, hang on, what? <laughs> um, um, but the point that he's driving to with that provocative chapter title is um, someone who's a sociopath or a psychopath, we, we, they're diagnosed because they, they just have no regard for others at all. Um, yep. They're only operating for their own interests and that, that can lead to all sorts of things that we would think are abhorrent. But, but there is a sense in which... Um, ap apart from you, you may not get what you want in life if you treat other people like that, which which then becomes a selfish motive anyway. Mm. Why should I have concern for others? Why should I regard others, particularly others who won't help me advance my own life? Do you know what I mean? Like the, the, there is a, a, a default ethic that I think a lot of people use is that I'll be nice to people if they can do something for me. Mm. Now that is, you know, um, 
from a Christian point of view, that's insidious. I think that's that's awful. Yeah. But yeah. but at least you can understand that from a if if God's not part of the picture, you can go, oh, I can I can work out why I would behave like that because I in the end I'm going to operate for my own self interest, even though I can sort of fake that it's not self interest half the time, but ultimately mm. it is. Mm. Um, but see, I want to ask Hugh Mackay. Um, or that way of thinking anyway, I want to interrogate and say, why should I think of other people? Um, there is nothing yeah. intrinsic apart from our own survival that means yeah. I should love someone else, you know? Yeah. Uh, and if ethics boils down to my own survival or my yeah. own flourishing, then some people will take that line of thinking to say, well, that, so there may come a point where I need to, um, you know, potentially <laughs> do something not very nice to someone else if I'm going to, yeah. If I'm going to promote my own survival, I might um, backstab that person at work. I might blackmail them if I think it's going to get me a promotion because yeah. why not if that's my ethic? Do you know what I mean? So um, yeah. I, I think that all the, where I'm getting to with all that, I think he's smuggled in a bunch of Christian stuff into his way of thinking and just yeah, doesn't so want to admit it. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe using the word paradox is how he's getting out of it because perhaps it's not as much of a paradox as we think. Like you know, if it wasn't a paradox, if it was, it was more because the the idea of morality flows from God to somewhere, like you said, it had a teleological uh, viewpoint. Yeah. Uh, if it's not a paradox, then it's a it's it's a more uh, a line, I guess. Um, yeah, and maybe that's where he's trying to turn it. Yeah, but yeah, great points, mate. Thanks. Yeah, it's so, good to have a chat with him, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it'd be kind of scary, but um, but because oh, yeah. he is a bit of a, a, a mega brain, but but yeah, none, nonetheless, nonetheless, <laughs> we've um, got Hugh, mate. We were right. Fools fear to, fear to <laughs> angels fear to tread. Fools go or something yeah, yeah. like that. <laughs> um, so how does but, this? How do you think the ethic, this this ethic that we're talking about uh, plays out then? Like, yeah, how do we kind of put some meat around this for how we um, live in a way that we would call is moral? Um, if we're talking about God is the source, it's going somewhere. We're here to we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbours ourselves. Yeah. How do we put some meat on that, flesh on it? Yeah, that's 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 really where this boils down to. Well, let's let's talk about sex. Um, you know why not? Um, yeah. I think I think all of this is really important where it comes to something like how we view sex and how we. Um, how we should behave with our sex, with our capacity to have sex, right? What we, if we go back and say, well, uh, we're in a created order and God has a purpose for us and for everything in the world, you go, okay, well, what, what might, might have been the purpose for sex? And, what you need to do, looking through the Bible, you don't just go, well, where's all the rules about sex? And I'm just going to try and keep all the rules. Yep. Because the Bible uh, doesn't present itself as that kind of book. What we un need to understand, this comes back to the kind of prawn rule. Um, the Bible is an unfolding revelation. And you need to understand the story arc of the Bible uh, to work out what's being said at what point of the story and where we fit in that story. And when I say story, I don't mean it's fictional or, you know, made up. I just mean it's it's a narrative that has an arc. Um, it's a true narrative that has an arc. Yep. And so we need to say, right, well, at the beginning, when you see uh, creation, what what is the purpose for something like sex? And how does that keep being spoken about throughout the story and where do we fit in it? So um, uh, it, sex has um, is meant to be a unifying uh, force uh, that's based in, in pleasure that unifies a man and a woman in a covenant relationship to strengthen the covenant. The covenant is meant to be there so that sex can be enjoyed to its fullest because you can be completely and utterly vulnerable with someone who has committed to you in a covenant relationship. There's no fear that that person will do, 
you know, will leave you or abandon you or um, uh, uh, treat your vulnerability with contempt. Um, and, and so you go, okay, that's the purpose. And you see it's used wrongly right throughout the Bible. It's, so this is this good thing that's meant for a good purpose. It's also meant as a, in the covenant relationship to be a, to issue forth in procreation. So, uh, in God's good purpose, something that's good and is pleasurable then issues forth in a, a new creation in, in that sense. Um, and so you see then, uh, if that's the purpose for sex, then you can, it's, it's easy then to understand the prohibitions throughout the, the Old Testament and then into the New Testament. People say, oh, they, um, God's so sex obsessed. He talks about it all the time in the Bible. No, human beings are. They've gone, here's a good thing that has pleasure. Let's just take it out on the road and do whatever without realizing the destruction that it causes outside of the context in which God God made it. And so mm. we then get to go, so what what's a right way to use our sex? What's what might be a wrong way? The right way is a way that um will promote a mutual love relationship with all the people around me. So I will I will use it for my covenant marriage partner. I won't use it for anyone outside of that because it won't promote love with them. It will destroy them. It will it will rob them of something that they're meant to only give to their covenant partner and it will destroy my covenant relationship. So it won't promote love if I use it outside of that. Can I just ask, you just smuggled in, oh, we'll come back to it, but it's a little aside. You just smuggled in the words a mutual love relationship there. What, what did you mean by that? Ooh, okay, well... Sort of going back to that um, Jesus summary of the law um, that our yeah. call is to love God and to love others. Um, and uh, there's a guy called Michael Hill, who's an ethicist who was at Moore College, who wrote a really good book um, called The Why and How of Love, um, which is about ethics. And he, sum- he came up with a way of sort of summarizing a lot of the things that we've been talking about he says uh, a mutual love ethic is is what the Bible talks about. It, it is the sort of framework which the Bible gives us to evaluate what's a right action, what's a wrong action, or what's a, a right way of being and a wrong way of being. He says an action or trait of character, uh, which I think is important to note that it's, it's about us being, not just us yeah. doing actions. An action or a trait of character yeah. is right and only right if it promotes, that is, it creates or maintains mutual love relationships mm-hmm. between God and humans and humans and humans. And there you have that, that yeah. you know, love God, love others dimension that Jesus was talking about. Um, so mutual love relationships, it comes back to the point you were making before, Paul, about, you know, other person-centered ethic. That is, we, mm. we are individuals but we're individuals in relationships so our individuality is not lost into an amorphous group it's not the group matters but the individual doesn't but it's not the individual matters everyone else can go jump it's (laughs) we've got to think about our actions as individuals in relationships with others yeah okay that's cool the other thing that you mentioned was um uh the people see the bible talking about prohibitions when it comes to our sexuality yeah um i'm just uh, so because you could also you could actually argue that it's actually not talking about the prohibitions but it's actually talking about the best way for it so it's saying yes sex is allowed it is good uh it's for procreation and pleasure um so it's not about the prohibitions of it it's about how to uh enjoy it um and uh, i don't want to use the word use because it's, it's a bit callous, but uh, what sex is for? Partake in um, it. Thank you, <laughs> the man who's got the language. Um, so, do you think it's a problem that when we're thinking about morality, but even even in this sense in sexuality, that we we're looking for the prohibitions rather than what we're allowed to do? Do you think that's an issue? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. Um, well, well, yes and no. You know, all good answers are yes and no, right? So, let, let, yeah. They, <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, do I think it's a problem? Yes, because I think for 
if we're thinking about a Christian view of people, right, that's what this podcast is all about. Who are we based yep. on a Christian understanding? Well, the, the Christian understanding is that um, uh, people who have made up their own moral compass, to use that word, let's call it people who, who are sinned, they've abandoned God as their, their reference point, um, yep. uh, are in a sense unable to live um, the life that God wants them to live on their own. But what happens is we're saved by Christ. Christ comes and lives the perfectly moral life yep. as our representative on our behalf. And so um, in terms of um, uh, God's evaluation of all of our moral decisions in our life, Jesus stands as our representative um, in yep. Christ when we are, when we, when we trust in Him, our identity changes. We connect our lives to Christ, and His Spirit then comes to dwell within us. And um, then, what happens is we don't become perfectly moral straight away. We don't become instantly like Jesus. But what does happen is that um, there is a transformation within us in terms of our thinking and in terms of our behavior, slowly but surely. And what happens, so so um, just thinking about the prohibitions, I, is that a problem? I would say yes, because um, we're, we're being recreated in Christ. We need to see our life like that, not just as rights and wrongs, right? Yeah. Not just as rules. But I think, um, no, it's not a problem in the sense that one of the ways that the Spirit will then slowly make us like Christ is by hearing commands like, don't do this, don't do that. Mm. And the Spirit then takes those commands and helps to reshape our thinking and our behavior as we take those commands on board and go, to, to behave like that must not be like Christ. Otherwise, I wouldn't be prohibited from doing it. Yeah. So what is there in the way I've been thinking that that command is cutting across the way I'm thinking as a, you know, something strong and I, that now then starts to reshape my thinking and my character yeah. to be more like Christ. So, yeah. yeah that's, re that's really helpful, mate. Thanks. I, I guess the other thing too, when you think about the, the do nots, there's also an implication to that. Um, I think John Dixon points this out really well in his book on the Ten Commandments. So if you take a commandment like don't steal, the implication yep. of that is be generous. Yeah. So, so the prohibition is saying here is the way to live. Yeah. Um, it's not just don't do this, do this. Yes. Uh, and, and so I'm free to be generous. Uh, so it, we've got to understand that there's those both sides, I think, when it comes to those kind of commands. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And and I think some of the, the New Testament letters um, – pick up that point where well, they emphasize that point by saying what we're actually doing in the process of trying to um, live moral lives is to put off our old self. That is to put off the way that is self-centered that where we have our own moral compass, where we're, we're basically living for ourselves, which would be stealing, you know, stealing is a way of saying, well, you have that, but I want it, and I'm not going to. I don't want to do anything fair to get it for myself. I'm just going to take it off you. Mm. Um, that's that's a self-centered view of life. Um, yeah. But it says not only put off that life; it says put on the new life. It says you know mm. you put off your old self, you put on the new self, which is becoming like Christ. And I love that. It's always uh, replace that behavior with another one, not just stop doing it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, a behavior that benefits others, glorifies God. Um, yeah. It's so interesting to hear you talk about this because it, it like, we, you know, when you're, when you're laying it out so simply like this, obviously, it, you know, morality in its sense is very simple to think about. Like when you're faced in a problem where you have, a, you know, I guess a moral dilemma of thinking about this or this, like in theory it is, a really simple choice to make, but in the, like the practicalities of, I guess, the human nature of it is to, you know, want things to be self-centered. And that's something that you continually have to, to, you know, remind yourself on and work on, I guess. It's not just something that, you know, once you, even for Christian people, once you, you know, know Jesus, that it's like, it, it's not flicking a switch. It's like something that you constantly have to work at, even when 
when you look at it on paper, those kinds of choices in that in that morality dilemma are actually quite easy to make. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well. Yeah, that's really helpful observation, Hugh. I think part of the dilemma is that um, we we underestimate the uh, Andrew Cameron's book calls them the, the undercurrents in our life, like the strength of the emotions and the feelings um, that our old self, um, you know, was characterized by. They, it's a really strong undertow that Christ is trying to undo and yeah. make still waters. And, um, and that's why it's difficult because, you know, in moments where we're faced with a decision of what to do, the old self, the old self, still calls and says, "Well, what you should do is look after yourself here." You know, when you, mm. when you, um, uh, busted or exposed for something that you you may may not have done wrong, you might have been careless, or you might have, you might have fudged something a bit or whatever. And in that moment, you we're called to tell the truth because God's a, mm. a truth teller and we're meant mm. to be imitators of God. And so the way to love God is to imitate him in that moment because his character is good. And the way we love others is to orient them to reality rather than to deceive them. But in that moment you go, hang on, if I tell the truth here, I'm worried about what's going to happen to me. I'm worried yeah. that I, my job will suffer. My reputation will suffer. Um, uh, you know, I'm worried about all these consequences. And mm. so wouldn't it be easier if I just look after myself, forget the whole who I'm meant to be in Christ, forget the whole God thing. Um, surely it's not going to help hurt anyone else if I just lie about this and say I didn't do it. Mm. But, yeah. and that's, so that's the undertow of our old self, look after myself. If, if I'm not looking after myself, no one else will be, you know, yeah. but, but in that moment we don't glorify God by trusting in him. You know, he's saying, no, no, trust me. Yeah, there, there might be circumstances, but, you know, all that I am doing is for the purpose of shaping you to be like Jesus. I love you. Nothing's going to change that. I always have you. I'm holding you to the end. And this might be another little furnace where your character is forged, but I'm never going to let you go, you know, and which is why I think, too, um, that our ethic has got to be forward looking. Um, yep. We know that there is a, a an end coming. There is a consummation, and our our end will be bound up with Christ's, and that helps us to make decisions in the moment, like this one that I'm just talking about about telling the truth when you think you're going to get busted. Mm. Um, if if that element is not there, that that's even harder. But the Bible, the shape of the Bible, allows us to see. No, no, there there is an end coming for those who trust in Christ, which is only good. Mm. And so trusting him now is not insane. It's the sanest thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny as well, cause it's complicated by the fact that we don't, you know, live in a society where everyone is, has that same, you know, like moral standpoint or, or ethic in mm. that way. Like there are yeah. people who do want to think for themselves or willing actively encourage people to do that, you know, to do what benefits them at the detriment of others. Yes. And uh, it, so it's not just your own like inner pull towards, you know, what's going to benefit me or am I not going to get caught for doing something or, mm. you know, is telling the truth going to have consequences? It's like fighting the that with when you see other people around you doing things that may be wrong and yes. benefiting from it too. I think that's, I think, that, like an extra layer of complication that we have. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Because we want to become them. The, the true north of the moral compass rather than God. I think I just want to throw another caveat in from that conversation you guys had and to remember that um, we're all, we don't become moral beings when we become Christian. Yeah. We're, we're, all, we're always yes. moral beings. The, uh, the, our moral compass changes. Uh, the way we view morality and our ethics changes in, accord, in line with what God advocates. So it's mm. important to remember that just because we're Christian, we're not now moral beings. We've always been that. It's just the uh, direction that our, our morality takes us that that changes. We need to keep that in mind too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that's that's true. Everyone operates with some sort of matrix of how to make decisions that are right or wrong, whether they've reflected yeah. on it or not. Um, yeah. You know, it, the communities that they live in, 
the world that they grow up in, the, the sum total of their experiences and other things that they've been taught from wherever. You know, yeah. a lot of people learn their morals from reality TV. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. Because <which, laughs> <laughs> um, it's not reality at all, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a really good point that you make, you about, you know, seeing other people um you know, not living that and, and getting away with things. And the and, and that's why I love, I love, the Bible is aware of that reality. Like you see that in the Psalms all the time where the Psalmist cries out, hey, why am I suffering when I'm trying to live for you? I'm one of your people and, you know, I'm living like this. And there's people who couldn't give a rip about you, God, and they do whatever they want and their lives seem to go brilliantly. Like, what's the deal with that, God? You know, like that's part of God's scriptures is allowing us to see that there's going to be this um, difficult kind of jamming of worldviews all the way up until the time when he um, he comes back. Um, so you are right on the money with pointing out that that's part of our experience. And I love that the Bible acknowledges that as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thanks. So yeah. it, where are we up to? Are we, we, are we at the time for great moments in theological I think we are. anthropology? Well, I have, an, I have an offering, so we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. I just, I just wanted to say too, that like, it's, it's wonderful being able to unpack, just think about the idea of morality like this. Uh, I just want to say, I hope you don't, people aren't getting too um, uh, worried that we're not addressing particular issues. That wasn't really the intention of today. Um, so yeah, don't get too frustrated with that. We're just trying to think it through and help us have a, have a way of thinking about this. Uh, and so that takes me to my great moments. Uh, I've chosen a quote from a guy by the name of Oliver O'Donovan who wrote a book called Resurrection and the Moral Order. Uh, and it's, I just want to note that in this section of the book where I've taken the quote from, uh, Oliver O'Donovan is making the case that the resurrection of Jesus is the starting point for ethics and morality because the resurrection vindicates God's created order and he's restoring it. So if we get our morals from God's ordered creation, which is what I was talking about before, then it's not being dispensed with needing a new way to discover what is moral. The creation is being restored as God intended. So that's the context of where this quote comes from. And here is my great moment. The order of things that God has made is there in italics. Uh, It is objective and mankind has a place within it. Christian ethics, therefore, has an objective reference because it is concerned with man's life in accordance with this order. The summons to live in it as address is to all mankind. Thus, Christian moral judgments in principle address every man or person. They are not something which which the Christian has opted into and and which might as well quite sensibly be opted out of. They are founded on reality as God has given it. The way the universe is determines how man ought to behave himself in it. Okay. Which is where I was heading, heading from before. Yeah, that's what you were saying before. So yeah. um, of all the things that you read for today, <laughs> this was what you picked as your great moment. Well, why, t- tell me why do you think this is a great moment in theological anthropology? Well, I think it's a great moment because it's reminding us of who we are as humans within the created order, that our morality is not separated from that created order. Uh, and even though it was broken, uh, it's being restored in the resurrection of Jesus. And so as part of that, um, our morality has a, has a sense to, as humans, not just to be good people, but we are contributing to something bigger. Yeah. Mm. No, that's great. And Oliver O'Donovan is a mega brain in the world of thinking about ethics. So thank you for uh, exposing us to him in this podcast. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I love it when I was at college, um, (laughs) everyone knew you had to talk about Oliver Oliver Donovan in in your (laughs) ethics um, essays or exams, (laughs) but um, his his writing is dense um, and someone had written a summary of his book 
And that summary was one of the most prized possessions to get hold of in college <laughs> because the person who wrote the summary was very, very bright and understood what O'Donovan was talking about but expressed it in simple language. So, <laughs> so uh, That's really yeah, helpful. That, that was good. No, no, yeah, very... that's, why I, that's why I threw in the context to say, you know, this is dense. There's a, there's a point to what he's making here. So. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so what he's saying is the things that we were, we were talking about, that, that we're all part of a created order and, yeah, the concern with man's life in accordance with this order. That is getting to those the purpose thing and uh, ethics isn't invented, it's discovered. Um, it's discovered as it's revealed by God. Um, you know, we don't just get to, to work, make up our own choices about what's right and wrong. We've got to work out... Mm how God's created and he has to tell us that and then we live accordance yeah. with that. Yeah, that's good. That's right. And in the end, it's universal. Yeah. Because it's addressed it's addressed to all mankind. Yeah. So what's good yeah. for everyone is what God has said is good. Um, it's yeah. not only good for Christians. It's good for everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And good for seeing the purposes of God himself achieved. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually a loving stance not a yeah. uh, domineering stance because it's yeah. anchored in understanding who God is and what his purposes are rather than about building any human kind of kingdom or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, mate. Well, we'll move from Oliver O'Donovan uh, to a bit of culture, a bit of uh, poetry. So, Keith, uh, this is that, 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 that time when we get to enjoy a bit of your insight into uh, the world of poetry and how it expresses um, morality for us. So it's over to you, brother. Wow, I think you might have oversold it in the intro, um, <laughs> but, but I'll take it. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, so, you know, what I want to do is, is find good poems that help us think about the topics that we've been talking about. Uh, I did actually, surprisingly, maybe to I did have a crack at one myself. Um, uh, yeah, how stimulating or uh, helpful it is. I'll let the reader understand. This is called <laughs> the right poem because we're thinking about right and wrong, right? Yeah. Okay. The right, Not right and left, poem. right, and yeah. good, yeah. right, and wrong. Okay. If a man makes a ship, he's a right. If a girl pens a book, she does write. But if I drive for too long at a speed that is wrong, then me taking a right won't be right. And that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> An English lesson in what was what's right. Oh dear! I Love appreciate the effort. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're so kind, you. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I wanted to take us as deep as O'Donovan. So, um... <laughs> did you discover anything else? <laughs> well, um, fortunately for us and for our listeners. Um, yeah, no, I did. I did discover something else. You know, in a lot of our podcasts, I've tried to take us to some of the older um, poets because I love discovering things that are uh, in the past. There's so many things that our brothers and sisters from from past years can teach us. But the one for today is actually a modern one. Um, and again, um, much of our poetry as Christians is turned into song because we're commanded to sing and we love singing. And so there's wonderful poetry that's, that's found in song. And I actually want to use one from our own stables from City of Light um, because I think um, as a foundation for thinking about ethics, thinking about right and wrong as response to God, not performance to earn God's favour, um, but also the freedom that we get to live in in Christ as we think about how to then live in our world this this poem, this song, uh, sums it up wonderfully. So this is called, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me, by Johnny Robinson and Rich Thompson. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer, 
There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. How strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side the Saviour he will stay. I labour on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me, through the deepest valley he will lead. All the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. No fate I dread, I know I'm forgiven, the future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated, Jesus now and ever is my plea. All the chains are released. I can sing, I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold. My hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. That, that is wonderful, wonderful words. Mm. What I love about it is it so says good. as moral beings, our life is joined to Jesus. Yeah. He's paid the whole price for all the wrong choices we have made and will make, and yet he's renewing us to be like him. And as he does that, we'll get better at making moral choices, not to earn his favour, but in freedom, in peace. And uh, and so in that, we know where we're going, and that allows us freedom to make the best choices we can living for Christ right now in this world. And that just mm. sums it up beautifully, I think. Mm. Thanks, mate. It's so good, yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure to chat with Hugh and Keith, you guys, again today. Uh, And uh, hopefully you have, uh, those listening have enjoyed the conversation and have been able to grab some things from that uh, and think about them yourself. Uh, We also used, um, we talked about different Bible passages from Exodus 20, Mark 10 and other places. Uh, We we talked about books like Joined Up Life by Andrew Cameron, The How I've Loved by Michael Hill. Uh, I referred to a book uh, by Hugh Mackay called Right and Wrong, um, and also, uh, I can't remember the name of the book, which is bad, but a book by John Dixon on the, on the Ten Commandments. So we're really glad that you could join us today. Uh, if you've got any questions, uh, let us know, uh, and hopefully this conversation has been helpful to you, and it's been a pleasure, again, uh, working these things out with you guys. So uh, thanks for joining us, and we hope you can uh, join us next time. Thanks, guys. See you, everyone.